It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Right, well, let's talk to Dr. Richard Vautry now. He's elected chair of the British Medical Association's GPs Committee and joins us. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning. Um, again, there's, there's been an extraordinary amount of criticism of the, of the Prime Minister um, for not uh, acting in the same way as, say, Ireland has done closing schools from Monday, uh, France likewise. Uh, Italy, of course, full lockdown uh, started earlier this week. Of course, they, they are very much further ahead, in, in, certainly in Ireland and in France, on, on the, the curve of, this, of this, uh, vi- this virus and this outbreak. Um, we did have explanations from both the chief medical officer and the chief scientific advisor yesterday for why they are doing what they are doing. Do you agree with uh, what they are planning to do in terms of keeping normal life as long as possible before we go into lockdown mode? Uh, yeah, it is important to, to listen to uh, the expert advice of the public health um, doctors and, and others who are leading this initiative. Um, I think we need to recognise that this is going to be a long-term issue. This isn't going to be over and done within a few weeks or maybe even months. Uh, this is potentially going to sort of take um, uh, quite a long time for us to fully get rid of um, uh, the potential of infection, not just in the first wave of infection, but subsequent waves as well, um, as we've seen sort of, you know, in, in previous years uh, when other new viruses have appeared. Uh, so I think we do need to be prepared. I think we need to follow the advice. Um, and undoubtedly, um, as you've just heard, um, we will have further changes in the next few weeks. Yeah, indeed. I mean, certainly I, I, I've been looking at the, a, a peak around Easter time uh, previously. That's what seemed to be the figures and, and the, the date that, uh, that had been mentioned. I think it was quite a shock to a lot of people that we were looking at a, a 10 to 14 weeks to, uh, time before we get uh, to a peak uh, because we have been able to, to uh, delay already uh, the onset of, the, uh, of this virus because of our containment measures. It have been. If you, you simply have to look at the, uh, uh, the, the number of people we've got infected, the number of deaths, we've got compared with uh, other countries on the mainland Europe to see that we have been successful so far uh, in delaying and containing uh, the spread of the virus. Uh, But I think the fact that we are looking at something stretching well into the summer months, past Easter, past the the half-term bank bank holidays and the like in in May, into exam season, all the way into the summer, I think that has perhaps focused minds a lot more about how serious this is and how long our lives are going to be affected. Uh, You're right. This is going to cause significant disruption for a long period of time. And so I think we need to prepare um, our patients, the public, um, as we uh, look at new ways of working, increasingly now GPs uh, will be uh, what's known as triaging um, all calls and requests for appointments. That means speaking to everybody on the phone. 
uh, or maybe using online services if they have them, um, to actually just assess whether a patient really does need to come into the surgery or whether they can have their problem resolved uh, through the phone um, so that we try to limit um, the travel into GP surgeries yeah. uh, so that we can then focus on those who are sickest. And of course there's going to be a massive knock-on effect in the NHS in terms of routine appointments, routine operations and, like, and a lot of people will say, well hold on a minute, you know why if, if I've got a, you know, a, a, a surgical problem, a hip replacement why on earth does that doctor need to be working uh, in the field of uh, dealing with uh, virology? But the reality is that uh, doctors and nurses are going to have to move away from their fields of expertise to be tackling patients with coronavirus. We've seen what's been happening in China, we've seen what's happened in Italy. To all intents and purposes in Italy, no doctors are basically having to make a choice which patients live or die and whether or not they've got enough equipment. They simply can't treat everybody. Uh, and so basically they, they are, we are going to have to see a, a focusing of the entire NHS on this particular crisis. Yes, that's right. We're going to uh, see people sort of maybe step outside their comfort zone, uh, but also uh, really supporting colleagues sort of, you know, as others sort of, you know, take on uh, particular roles. They'll need to be backfilled sort of, you know, so that we ensure that uh, not only do we provide uh, services to those patients who are infected with COVID-19, uh, but we also continue to provide uh, treatment to those who have cancer, to those who have other serious illnesses, uh, so that we ensure that um, we utilise the resources to the best possible care, pos in the best possible way. But it will mean uh, that more routine care is delayed or postponed um, and I hope that people will understand the reasons why. Yeah, indeed. And of course, the key thing to remember here is that uh, even if we feel perfectly well, we may well have coronavirus, a small cough, uh, a, uh, a fever of any sort. Uh, absolutely, you need to, uh, as we heard from the Prime Minister yesterday, you need to quarantine yourself and, and probably realistically your family as well for seven days while you are your most infectious. And, and this is not necessarily about protecting our, you know, ourselves. It's about protecting other more vulnerable people in the country who are not necessarily elderly, many, many people with like asthma and other issues, people being treated for cancer at the current time, people who just simply don't have uh, the ability to fight the disease as well as other healthy people do. Yes, that's right. This, this is in, in the delay phase, so we're trying to delay the spread of infections, sort of, you know, moving around the, the community. Um, and so if, even if you have uh, an infection um, and you're relatively fit and well, um, actually trying to limit that spread uh, to others who are more vulnerable is really important. And I think erring on the side of caution uh, by staying at home um, if you have a cough or a cold symptoms, particularly if you have a fever, is going to be very important. OK, well, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us, Dr Richard Vautry. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Uh, let's uh, uh, speak now to the former Justice Secretary, Lord Charlie Faulkner, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Lord Faulkner. Good morning, Julia. Um, and again, obviously, in a normal week, we would be still talking about the budget. It was only on Wednesday. It almost feels like a lifetime ago now. Um, but in terms of the measures that were that were put out by uh, the new Chancellor Rishi Sunak to tackle this, um, lots of, there seems to be lots of praise across the board that actually these are the sort of measures that are needed uh, to help uh, uh, small businesses, individuals get through. But in terms of the actual advice we're getting from the Prime Minister, the Chief Scientific Advisor, the Chief Medical Officer, uh, yesterday uh, of, of how Britain is handling this as a whole, how England is handling this as a whole. Um, are, are, you, are you trusting that the government is doing the right thing? Uh, yes, I am. I think the key thing that the government has got to do is to convince people that it is trying its best to act in the public interest. The impression that I am getting is that these decisions that the government is making are very, very difficult. It is being open with the public as to the difficulty of these decisions and what we face as a country. 
they, the politicians, are acting on the basis of the best advice that they are getting, and they are taking the public into their confidence as to the difficulty of the decisions and the reasoning that they are operating on. Of course, there may be different views, and I think Jeremy Hunt honestly expressed his anxieties in relation to it, but at the moment, I have faith that the government is trying to do its best in this difficult situation. And the key thing, I think, for the public is that we trust the government, that they are trying to do their best, rather than thinking that the government aren't coming clean with this. Well, this is, I mean, having these press conferences with the chief scientific advisor and the chief medical officer being able to speak freely, answer questions from journalists themselves, it is extraordinary that some people are, I mean, not some prominent journalists, name no names, uh, but also even the, the former health secretary, now chair of the Health Select Committee, uh, Jeremy Hunt, questioning whether we are doing enough in this country and not following the same sort of things that have been done in Ireland, in France, in Italy and elsewhere in terms of travel bans and, and, and closing schools and uh, ending as all major sporting events? Well, that's the big question in the public's mind. Why is the UK doing something less stringent and less rigorous than other countries? And the Prime Minister and the scientific and the medical advisor gave a very clear answer to that, which is that if we move into those much harsher measures now, uh, we may uh, end up in a situation when they start to break down those measures at a time when we need them most. And uh, if the measures break down later on, then you will get a resurgence of the disease or the epidemic, which is what people are worried about in the countries where at least initially it's gone down in its numbers. Now, that's the view that the medical advisor and the scientific advisor are giving to the government and the government are accepting that view. Uh, obviously, it's legitimate, I think, for journalists and politicians. So is it right? But we know why the government is doing what it's doing. I think that's the right position for the public to be in, namely to know why the government is taking the position it's taking and trusting the government that they're being open. It's very important, this openness. And, and, and how, how important also is it that we, that we do have sort of unity across the, the, the political divide on this? I think a lot of people were quite cross with Nicola Sturgeon yesterday as the First Minister of Scotland when she decided to preempt a uh, press conference she knew was going to be happening with the, the Prime Minister and the... I mean, to be fair, the Chief, the Chief Scientific Advisor is for England and Chief Medical Officer for England and she is running Scotland, but she did a press conference in advance and she did actually announce different things uh, from the Prime Minister. So she, she did announce a ban on large crowds, although she made it clear it wasn't for uh, medical scientific reasons, it was simply to uh, put less um, stress on the police uh, at, at this at this time when the emergency services are needed elsewhere. Um, but I mean, there is a danger, is there not, um, of, of sort of this becoming a little bit of a political football? Well, I think where, if it becomes a political football, then trust goes down. If people thought that Nicola Sturgeon had done it because she wants to differentiate herself from the political response in England, then that would lead to a degree of distrust. As you fairly point out, she is saying, I'm not disagreeing with the advice that is coming. All I'm saying is that the pressure on the public services, the first responders is greater if they have, in addition to dealing with the coronavirus outbreak, have to deal with the normal problems that arise from big gatherings. And that doesn't feel to me like it is a significant break of the unity. Unity, I don't think, means everybody saying the same thing, even though they believe something different. It is genuinely acting, all of us, in a way that is in the public interest, rather than trying to play politics with the position. The sense that one gets in the US is that that's not the position there, that the president is 
jumping around for political gain. Now, whether that is right or whether that is wrong, if there is a big question mark over his motivation and his ability to lead the U.S. into doing the measures that the government of the U.S. needs is very greatly hampered. Yeah, indeed. Uh, again, I think there's, there's going to be lots of lots of fallout of what's happening in terms of what uh, Donald Trump has chosen in, 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 to do um, and things he has said in, in the recent weeks as well. Can I also ask you, in view of your, your former job as a, as Justice Secretary, there's lots of talk about you know closing schools and, and, and stopping you know, the super spreaders and, 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 and talk in the future. And I think undoubtedly we are going to see next week there won't be any major football matches or all the like simply because of people themselves uh, who are playing uh, possibly uh, being a risk themselves rather than the spectators. But there's also a concern that I think may well be missed by a lot of people of, of what's going to happen behind bars in prisons, where, of course, we know a lot of people have a lot of health problems. Uh, we also know it's going to be very, very difficult. You can't self-isolate people. People are living very cheap by jail in very overcrowded prisons, a risk not just to the prisoners, but prison staff as well, uh, who, of course, are coming in from the public and bringing, uh, bringing the virus into jails. Um, what concerns do you have for prisoners in those scenarios and, indeed, those working in prison? I have considerable concerns about it. All the things that you've said are true, in addition to the things that you are saying, is the prison population is a much more vulnerable population in terms of health issues. There will be a lot more people with underlying issues. There are an increasingly large number of prisoners who are over 60. Uh, the prison uh, start, the prison uh, section of the Ministry of Justice have said today or yesterday that they are that they are taking sensible measures, but they are concerned about how the position may spread more widely in prisons than it will in other places. And what's more, the mortality rate may be higher because of the underlying conditions. But, but also, we know not. often limited access to good health care. Correct. That's absolutely right. And uh, these are going to give rise to very big problems. I think the prison department has got to think what special measures it takes in relation to it. I wouldn't suggest at the moment that one needs uh, sort of different release arrangements from the, moment, from, from the current situation, but it may come to that. Indeed. Uh, Lord Faulkner, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Lord Charlie Faulkner, former Justice Secretary. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a new disease. It's not flu. People have got to stop saying it's not flu. Well, look, let's talk about the effect on schools. Uh, Robert Halfen is Conservative MP for Harlow. He's also chairman of the Education Select Committee. Good morning to you, Robert. Uh, good morning. Hello. Um, well, uh, the decision yesterday by the Prime Minister, and, and again, backed up by what the Chief Scientific Advisor and the Chief Medical Officer was explaining about, at that press conference in the number 10 yesterday about why he's not going to be shutting down schools. A lot of parents like myself will have had emails from their schools saying, look, you know, we're making plans for what happens if we do. Do you agree with the Prime Minister on the, on the actual idea that we, we, it's not the right thing to do just yet to shut down schools? Well, I think that we have to, and the, I think the only thing we can do is listen to the Chief Medical Officer and the Chief Scientific Officer and Public Health England, and they are saying at this point in time, don't close down schools. Of course, it's at the moment, it's a case-by-case basis, and any school that may uh, think that they have the virus, they speak to the Department for Education, they have the access to Public Health England. But interestingly, in Singapore... Um, they have kept the schools open and yet they have been very good, that country, at dealing with the coronavirus. And what you've got to uh, uh, think uh, about when we make these decisions is if schools close, you might hit vulnerable children, you, uh, healthcare, uh, we're going to really need nurses and doctors. They may have to stay at home looking after their children uh, at a time when we need the most infrastructure workers the same what will happen to vulnerable children what will happen to children with free school meals yeah. so this is a massive massive decision and it may be that schools close in the future but at this point in time i suspect and I'm, I'm only an armchair uh, watcher on this, I, I suspect that they've made the right decision. Yeah, indeed. Uh, again, we expect Frank Field early, early this week, uh, a former Labour MP, of course, talking about the impact on children who just, it's not just even a free school, but it's the only proper meal they get in a day, a uh, big concern. And as you say, key workers, many, many those who work in the NHS, that work in uh, key uh, sectors, who work in the police, uh, are going to have to be at home to look after their children if, if, if school teachers aren't there uh, doing it. Realistically, with just, I mean, two weeks to go, certainly to my daughter's school holidays, three weeks for other schools to the Easter holidays. Schools will be closing very soon. Of course, that'll be, you know, most parents will already have their their childcare plans in place, assuming those can go ahead. Um, It may well be better just to wait, given that schools will be closing soon. It may well be a case, though, that they perhaps don't reopen for a little bit of time afterwards. Well, I I know, because I've spoken to the schools minister, that uh, they're in discussions with the relevant authorities on a day-by-day basis and I think this decision will be made on a day-by-day basis but there is little evidence that children are a major source of the spread and uh, thank goodness there's been very few as I understand it uh, children being uh, uh, really hit by this awful uh, disease so I think we should just uh, the only thing we can do as a country and each country is very different each country will make very different decisions none of us are experts the only thing we can do in my view is listen to the evidence of the top medical people the top scientists in the country we have a organization in britain that not a lot of people know about called public health england which actually means that we're one of the public health 
science capitals of the world. So we're in a very good place in terms of working out, working out how to deal with this yeah, uh, disease. So I don't see there's any alternative for schools to fo- do it by case-by-case basis and follow the evidence. But as I say, in Singapore... They haven't closed the schools yet. They've been very effective at dealing with this virus. Yes, indeed. It's not. It's, yeah, it's not the panacea. A lot of people seem to think it is. It's a big. It's a big sort of statement, but it doesn't necessarily have any useful effect. And, and again, it may actually make things worse by take, keeping key workers away from the NHS. But also, uh, who often is going to look after people's children? Oh, elderly grandparents, and, and they're of course the biggest risk. What about those parents who are concerned right now about their children taking GCSEs and A levels uh, in the coming months? I think a lot of people have thought, well, you know, this will all be over by some time in early May, uh, May, you know, May and June, we're talking at peak exam season. Realistically, it's going to be very hard to uh, just by putting lots of kids in a big exam hall together uh, for exams, quite apart from the fact that, look, some schools are going to cope very well. And this is my concern. You know, I'm sure my daughter's school will do very well, but really, really organised. And they've got parents at home who are going to be uh, helping their children to make keep up with the work. There are going to be a lot of kids, particularly from disadvantaged homes, where parents really are, 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 you know, don't see the value of school or, or just, you know, are, are working two jobs and can't be there. Uh, the schools are not going to cope and, and a lot of kids from disadvantaged homes who are going to do really suffer uh, their education wise uh, when it comes to uh, uh, schools being closed and and uh, and possibly if the exams go ahead doing really badly in exams they'd otherwise have done well in well i think it all depends on what happens it's uh, looking like that the local elections are now going to be delayed so it may yeah. be that the exams are delayed and i think we'll find that out in the next uh, week or two um I, I'm very um, supportive of um, learning by uh, online and art- the new kind of artificial intelligence programs that are coming through. And I hope very much, I mean, there, are, there is one organisation called New Century Tech that have offered free learning online to every yes. single school in the country. And I want uh, very much, even if exams aren't delayed, that the uh, kids at home, pupils at home, um, take up this offer and uh, do everything they can to learn online whilst they're at home. Because... That's the other thing that, of course, if children are home for weeks on end and the schools are closed, they lose a huge amount of their their learning and their education and their development at this time. And, of course, that's not good either. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. Let's, uh, let's turn our attention to very much more serious matters. Everyone's obviously very concerned about uh, what's going to happen to our health in the future and our safety of our of our family members. Uh, but uh, very, very sad news yesterday, the news that a British soldier uh, had been killed in Iraq and uh, she was named yesterday as 26-year-old uh, Army medic Lance Corporal Brodie Gillen. She died when Iranian-backed gunmen fired at least a dozen small missiles into a military base north of Baghdad. Two Americans also died. Another 12 personnel were injured, including including more Britons. Uh, well, let's talk about this with Colonel Richard Kemp, a retired British Army officer, of course, former commander of British forces in Afghanistan. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning. Um, I mean, a very, very, very sad death. But of course, I know people always focus on it more when we are talking about particularly a young woman. She was a reservist with the Scottish and North Irish Yeomanry and is, was serving with the Irish Guards Battle Group, according to the Ministry of Defence, and was apparently a hugely popular character. But again, we, we, we often forget our uh, armed forces are still very much at risk in the Middle East. Yeah, they're carrying out important work there. And um, that, that in, in, in her case and the case of the others in Camp Taji, um, relates to, um, to training, helping to train and mentor Iraqi forces to deal with um, Islamic State and other terrorists in Iraq. Um, so their the work is vital, but it is also dangerous. They're not involved in, in direct combat missions. But as we saw from the attack, tragically, they, 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 they risk their lives day in and day out by this form of attack. 
Well, indeed, I mean, there, we know there's been some retaliation as a result of that. This is Iranian-backed uh, gunmen. And again, we, we, we've seen uh, attacks uh, before in that. Um, do you see a time, and we're, we're talking about withdrawing from Afghanistan, of course, the Americans withdrawing their troops, that, that, that actually, and, and in Iraq uh, as, as well, do you see a time actually where we're going to have all of our troops taken out of the Middle East, or do you think we're just going to be there in some capacity for many years to come? Well, I think we're going to have... Um some military forces in the Middle East and elsewhere in dangerous places around the world for a long time. And these sort of roles of, of mentoring and training um, local forces who, who struggle themselves to, to, uh, to, to, to combat um, the, the uh, terrorists that, that threaten them and also threaten us, uh, they, they need our forces to help them. And I think they will continue to do that. And that includes in the Middle East, and it probably does include Iraq, although you know, we're looking now at um, a possible withdrawal of, of, of all forces from Iraq in the not too distant futures and from Afghanistan. But I think, you know, we will see them back there again. We'll see them in other places. I, I don't think we can expect a time when our troops are not in danger at the moment, given the, the you know, the, the developing threat around the world. OK, thank you very much, dear, for joining us, Colonel Richard Kemp there. Uh... Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.